Welcome to Australian Hiker. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 11 of the Australian Hiker Podcast. In today's episode, we've got two topics. The first one is when couples hike. Um, Hiking as a couple is one of those sort of things that you either love or you hate. It's either your hobby and not your partner's hobby, or you do it together. Uh, And for me, I'm a bit of both. I love solo hiking, and I'll talk about that in a future episode. Uh, But certainly, just as much, I also like hiking with my partner as well. The second topic for today's show is a review of Organic Jerky Company's Premium Organic Beef Jerky. In this first segment of today's show, we're going to be looking at wider couples hike. Hiking is like any other activity or hobby in that there's often more than just one way of doing it. You can hike solo, you can hike with uh, another person, or you can hike with a larger group. Each of these combinations has their own advantages and disadvantages. And uh, for many of us, hiking with a friend or a significant other is what we do. And it comes with a number of benefits as well as a number of pitfalls. So we're going to be going through and looking at some of those today. The first thing to look at when uh, hiking as a couple is setting a pace. This can often be one of the biggest causes of arguments when couples first start hiking together because it's very rare that two individuals are going to have exactly the same sort of hiking style and hiking pace. Now I'm about 20 centimetres or 8 inches taller than Jill which means that my stride or my pace uh, is going to carry me a lot further if we're walking uh, and taking the same number of steps. So in Jill's case, um, there's a couple of options. Um, She can either uh, slow down, and and it means that I have to slow down as part of the process, or she can take more steps. And typically that's what she tends to do because uh, we both wear Fitbits and she she certainly takes a lot more steps than I do. You're making me sound as if I'm this funny little thing that scuttles behind you, Tim. (laughs) Well, close. Um, So uh, basically, uh, when Jill and I hike together, I certainly outpace her on both flat ground and on uphill pace, uphill uh, um, uh, sections of the trail. But coming downhill, my knees tend to cause me some problems, and Jill will actually outdistance me on the downhill strides. So it's um, it's not always the same person that's that's going faster, but certainly I'll 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 own up and say that it's typically it tends to be me. And as part of that process, as a couple, if you're hiking, you need to have the discussion about who walks in front and who sets the pace. Now, that's not too much of a problem as such. I mean, typically when we're hiking together, Jill will most of the time hike in front. But um, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, I tend to, uh, when I'm, um, I'm behind, I'll focus on her boots. Um, that's my point of reference. Uh, I tend to um, not uh, 
not look about too much else about what's going on. It gives me a chance to think. Um, but uh, I have been accused of pushing the pace a bit, and it's not deliberate. It's just I'm trying to keep keep Jill's boots in my eyesight, so I tend to sort of um, push her along a bit. Uh, and so, as I said, it's certainly not deliberate. Yeah, I I sometimes feel as if I'm being pushed uphill, and uh, will often step aside and let Tim through, and uh, and then I'll just set set my own pace after that. So the next thing we're going to talk about is the definition of hiking together. And for us, hiking together means hiking together. And that might sound like a really obvious thing to say. Um, but even if you are hiking together, you, you do have options. Uh, we know of couples that have different walking styles. And in the morning, they set off together and then they separate during the day and they meet up at certain points for meals um, and to uh, discuss what's what's happening during the day as well as uh, connecting up at the end of the the day. Um, Tim likes solo hiking. Uh, When he's solo hiking no one else exists Uh, and I think you know for me if uh, we were going to separate during the day in that way I'd probably feel as if I wasn't existing at all, um, and you do, you do you do get concerned about the other person. You do get um, uh, a little bit worried if you you can't see them. So if we're hiking together, we're hiking together. Now that doesn't mean that we're side by side the whole time. And often on uh, trails, you do have to walk one in front of the other. Um, and as Tim just mentioned about a different pace, it does mean that one of you might get ahead a little bit. Uh, at at a certain point during the day the rule that we have that we stick to is that we keep visual contact with each other now when that's uh, hilly and rocky and you know uh, um, circuitous sort of trails uh, that means we're a little bit closer together Uh, and when it's flat and it's a long straight trail then that means that we can also be a little bit further apart. So depending on what's happening on the day, as long as we keep contact with each other and we're able to recognise when the other one wants your attention, and it's not just because something might be going wrong, but often it's because you've seen something that you want to share. So that contact is a good way of making sure that you're able to share the same experiences at the same time. Okay, the next, as, as John went through and mentioned, is sort of um, being in touch with each other and, and, and keeping an eye of what's going on. And certainly the next thing to look at really is, is your partner okay? Um, as a couple, we've been together for many years. We've got a reasonably good understanding of each other's quirks and abilities. We recognise when something is not going well for our partner. Uh, we know when we're having uh, off days, uh, which will often tend to happen on longer hikes. When you're typically doing a one or a two day sort of hike, everything seems to be going well in most cases. But over the longer trips, and for us, typically as a couple, uh, the longer trips we tend to do are about two weeks in length, you do tend to have the off day. Uh, And that goes for both of us. Sometimes you're just not feeling 100%. uh, Sometimes you're a bit tired. You may not have slept as well as you you could have done. Um, Yeah, and uh, and one of those sort of things is uh, it's just that you, know, you just just don't feel 100%. And, and being aware of that in your partner 
and knowing that there's a uh, as a problem, it means you can actually look after them, help them out, and um, if need be, take a bit of the load load off that as well. Um, having said that, occasionally there are systems failures uh, with some mis- <laughs> misinterpretations occurring. And I'll give you an example. In 2012, we uh, walked through Bhutan. We were travelling as a group. Uh, and on the one particular day, um, the only polite way I can put it is I had digestive distress. Uh, and as a result, I wasn't walking at my usual pace and speed. And Jill was trying to work out why I was walking much slower than I usually did uh, and wasn't picking up on the signals that I had issues. But it, it happens. Well, the signals, despite the digestive distress, were pretty subtle, let me tell you. All I could tell was uh, Tim wasn't happy um, and was increasingly getting annoyed at me, but I just didn't know why. (laughs) Okay. The other one is uh, is also, and again, in relation to, we just mentioned about taking a bit of the load off and helping out a bit. The other one is actually sharing the load. One of the big benefits of hiking as a couple is the ability to share communal gear. And certainly when you're hiking with a friend or hiking as a twosome, that's not always the case. If you're hiking with a friend, quite often you'll be carrying your own gear and you'll be carrying duplications. So you'll often have your own shelters. You more than likely will have your own cookware. Uh, you'll be carrying your own food, all your own sleeping gear. So really all you're doing is taking a solo hiker and duplicating it by two. Um, uh, and that's that's often the way hiking as a as a set of friends will often work as a couple um, hiking um, um, is often a bit easier in that respect because you're able to share the communal gear so a two-person tent typically is only marginally heavier than a single shelter uh, of the same type you only need one stove uh, and typically you only need one gps as well and there's other gear that you can actually go through and share so the cookware as an example um, food, uh, food not isn't necessarily twice the uh, the single amount. Um, quite often, you find that um, with the um, uh, the freeze dried meals, that the the twin packs quite often aren't double the, the size of a single pack. So you tend to save on weight a little bit here, a little bit there, and it often makes it a bit easier to, to share that load. When we um, when we hike together and we're carrying a two-person tent, uh, typically um, Jill will carry the tent pegs uh, and the poles and I'll carry all the fabric. Uh, and that's just an, it's a, an easy way of trying to split things up rather than trying to sort of split half the, the fabric and half the tent pegs. Now, we also split up the food. And I think this bit's a little bit unfair because I think Tim should have to carry the food that he eats and I should have to carry the food that I eat, which would be much more appealing for me. Um, the downside to sharing gear is that you want something in particular in a hurry uh, that's in your partner's pack. Uh, sometimes you have to wait until they get it out of their pack rather than just stopping, opening your own pack and, and knowing exactly where things are. I've mentioned that we were um, we hike close enough together so we can share experiences along the trail. And communicating and sharing, I think, is a pretty important part of Uh, going on any long walk. I had an interesting question from a work colleague recently uh, and uh, they were were wondering whether or not we actually run out of things to talk about when we're on a long hike. And at first I thought this was a bit of a 
funny question and, you know, laughed and um, said some things that I thought were very entertaining. Um, they, they were quite serious and they were quite worried about us and whether or not we would end up with days of long silences. Um, we, we didn't and we don't. Uh, we talk about anything and nothing. We talk about where we are and uh, where we aren't. Um, but, you know, on a, on a typical two-week trip, we certainly wouldn't uh, run out of things to talk about. And I think, you know, you, you do talk about different things. Um, you obviously start the trip by talking about the clearing the head things, the things that have just happened. You might be talking about family. You might be talking about work. But as the trip goes on, you do start to get into a broader range of topics that perhaps uh, the the busyness of your weekday and the busyness of your normal life doesn't allow you to get into. So we don't run out of things to talk about and it's quite enjoyable. Sometimes there's silence and sometimes we're quite happy with their silence. In addition, you can basically can go through and share uh, your experiences with your partner. Is it and and for us, it happens to be one of the the great pleasures for for, for hiking, uh, being able to talk about something that's happening, uh, something we've just seen, um, rather than sort of coming together at the end of the day and saying, "Oh, look, did you see this?" And you know, the other person may not have seen it, or they might have seen something totally different because whatever creature or animal has moved on. Um, so it's different than sharing the same experience separately. Uh, and I think that that's something that, that hiking together certainly does help. Not, now, not to sugarcoat um, the experience, there are always downsides with hiking together as a couple. Um, and Jill will attest the fact that, that I can make myself much larger than I actually am <laughs> uh, at night time, a bit like a, a cat. I can take up a lot of space. So if you think about kids when they come into your bed at night time, you know, it's amazing how... how much space a three or four year old child can take up in a, in a double or a king size bed. Uh, now, from my perspective, I've had a series of accumulated injuries, um, particularly in relation to my shoulders. So I tend to be a restless sleeper. I change positions regularly through the night. So I'll, I'll sleep on one side, then the other, then on my back, and I'll just go through a cycle. So as a result, I tend to take up more than my share of the tent. Having said that, though, Jill's sleeping bag's probably about 50% bigger than mine. Um, so, I mean, even with even with no people in the tent, her sleeping bag takes up a lot more space than mine does. That's probably true. The other disadvantage tends to be that I'm an early riser. My normal wake-up time um, in the real world is 4.30. Um, and that's not so bad. We can actually get out of bed and go into another part of the house. Uh, but in a tiny tent, when one person's awake, you can't help but tend to uh, wake up the other person. Uh, and I also find that um, we uh, the concept of hike at midnight, which for on longer trips, quite often you've gone to bed quite early. Um, so 9, 10 o'clock at night tends to be the middle of the night for most people. So I know for me on longer trips, I'll be pretty much wide awake by sort of 3, 30, 4 o'clock in the morning. Um, so I must admit, you know, during wintertime, it's not so easy when you've, you know, it's pitch, pitch black and cold and you can't get out of the tent. Summertime's not so bad. You can get outside and actually get away and stop creating as much noise. Uh, but it doesn't always help. You know, mostly it's just the rustling 
and the desperation trying to be quiet and it's just not working. <laughs> and that is, that is one of the disadvantages of the, uh, the inflatable sleeping mats, particularly the ultralight ones, which Jill and I have both got. Uh, weigh very little, but they, they sort of crinkle like cellophane. Um, now, one of, the, um, one of the things that couples learn as they grow closer is when to stop. And Jill, when she, uh, Jill grew up in a large family, and the kids, as kids, they had a rule, uh, which was when and not if somebody cries, you stop. As adults, we need to learn the grown-up version of this rule. Um, as we sort of come together as a couple and start recognizing each other's moods, you need to recognize that while we have a lot of similarities, there are times when we just need our own space to handle whatever issues we're dealing with in our own way. Yeah, I think that's true. And um, just appreciating, you know, we talked about keeping pace and we talked about, you know, hiking together, sometimes increasing that distance just a little bit, sometimes a little bit more silence or otherwise, depending on what the mood is, um, is something that's really important to recognise. One thing I would recommend as um, hiking as a couple is I'd probably, when you first start going out with your a, a new partner, I wouldn't recommend going through and doing a two-week-long trip as the first thing. Uh, I think otherwise you may find that uh, you're either going to be together for life or you won't be together at all. Um, I think you need to ease yourself into uh, um, hiking, a long, long distance hiking where you're, where you're in a tiny little tent with each other. Um, it does take a bit of getting used to each other and I think uh, forcing the situation by um, doing something like hiking uh, where you are on top of each other almost literally um, it's, uh, it's, uh, I'd suggest you take things a bit slower and, and start with the day hikes first The next segment of uh, today's show is um, uh, a food review and today we're going to be reviewing Organic Jerky Company Beef Jerky. Now, this is a, an Australian company uh, that actually distributes within Australia and the USA. Um, and it's uh, only discovered when I was look, looking at doing the research for this uh, this segment that they actually export quite a lot to, to the US. Um, I'd always assumed it was an, Australia, an American company exporting to Australia. So it was, it was pleasantly surprising to find that it was the other way around. Now, beef jerky is is one of those sort of um, meals or food food products that tends to be a staple of the hiking industry. For me, I don't tend to worry about using jerky or, or eating jerky on one or two day hikes. Um, it, I, I don't know what it is. It just doesn't doesn't sort of factor into my one or two day sort of hike um, menus. But certainly on Anything longer than sort of two days and up to the sort of two week long hikes we tend to do, uh, I'll actually um, consume quite a lot of jerky in comparison. Now, I've gone through over the years and tried just about every different brand of jerky I can find on the market. And, and by no means does it mean I've tried everything. There was, there's a huge variety out there. Um, but uh, for our, our Larapenta trail trip in 2016, I tried a number of different varieties uh, just to try and work out one that I was happy with. And probably one of the main criteria I was looking at was something that was reasonably organic or reasonably natural. Uh, you can buy a lot of jerkies um, from the supermarkets, the service stations, and even some of the hiking stores that have a lot of chemical additives in them. 
um, and they almost look and taste a bit plasticky sometimes. So what I was trying to find was a natural jerky, um, and certainly this is what uh, the organic jerky company does. It, it really is organic beef, uh, and also it's a uh, um, uh, natural processing as well. Now, as an overall range, uh, the organic, organic jerky company do quite a large, large sort of range. Uh, in the beef jerky, uh, we've got classic original, black pepper, uh, hot chili, smoky barbecue, Aussie Outback, and mulled curry. And I've tried all of those apart from the mulled curry. Don't ask me why. I just have an aversion to, I love curries, but I just have an aversion to trying curry jerky, and I just don't know why. It's probably perfectly perfectly fine, um, but it's just something I've never been tempted to try on the trail. Um, they also do a range of other jerkies as well. Uh, we've got kangaroo, filet mignon beef jerky, crocodile and salmon. Now again, I, one of these days I will go through and try those. I don't tend to be, I love fish, um, but dried fish doesn't seem to, again, it doesn't seem to attract me. Um, but certainly we've got an upcoming trip in, the, in, uh, in February and I will go through and get some because, I mean, Jill certainly does like the, the, the dried fish. Um, well, well, I like salmon. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not so sure. I just can't imagine what it would be like. I'm very happy to try it and I think we probably should. Um, I have uh, tasted crocodile and I have tasted kangaroo and they are very... Um, uh, heavy sorts of meats so again not quite sure not quite sure how I would go but uh, certainly I think it's worth a try um, so with all the varieties that are available I mean for me I um, as I said I on longer trips my my diet tends to be very very um, and again I suppose for one of a better term it is variable I don't eat the same thing every day. Um, I go through a cycle over a two-week period where I'll start off eating something. Uh, in the middle of the trip, my, my tastes will change totally. I'll go, go right off jerky and eating other particular types of food. And then coming back towards the end of a trip, I'll, um, I'll start having cravings for uh, jerky, uh, whether it's just the protein or the texture, I'm not sure. So I don't tend to eat the same sort of thing every day and the same quantities every day. It just tends to vary. Uh, and in future episodes, we're actually going to go through and do uh, a discussion on food for, for longer trips. Um, what I have discovered uh, with the trips we have done and, and using this jerky um, is 40 grams per person per day is probably about the serving that, that seems to work well for us. Um, we tend not to eat it as a meal. We don't sort of sit there and eat 40 grams of jerky in one go. That wouldn't be good. <laughs> no. Um, we tend to just graze through the day. Um, for most people that have, that have eaten jerky, they real, you can realize it is a bit tough. You've got to work at it. It tends to create a bit of saliva. Uh, and as a result, you tend to actually have to, have to sort of drink a bit of water to get it sort of um, going down. Um, I have to admit, I think 40, 40 grams for me in a day is quite a bit of quite a bit of jerky. So, I th I think Tim probably eats my leftovers um, over a few days. 
um, it's a, it's a great product. Um, it doesn't um, once you've carried it and opened the pack, it doesn't go off or anything like that. So it is quite possible to you know eat it over a few days and it still be tasty. Now the pack sizes are 125 grams, and that's actually the the amount of jerky that's in the in the pack, not the packaging, the cardboard out of box that comes with it. So again, it's it's true to to size and measurement, which is quite good. As I mentioned, there's a number of different types and flavors, and I'll often vary um, if I'm if I'm going through and, and consuming a box in three days or 125 grams in three days. I'll often have two or three different types over that sort of period, just to give me a bit of variety. It's not like normal beef, where you know, if you cook a steak and and do a um, a mushroom sauce as opposed to something else, you get, there's a huge difference in the taste. Uh, I find the taste to be reasonably similar, um, but there's enough difference in them uh, that you can notice it. So I, I don't think I'd want to be eating the same type of jerky over and over. Yeah, I find that really interesting because I can definitely tell the difference between uh, the pepper and the chili. Um, both both are quite um, hot. The chili I find a little bit hot, and I do have to eat it in smaller quantities. Really quite tasty, uh, but yeah, just for those who are not so keen on um, seasoned or hot tasting foods then uh, you might want to have a bit of a try before um, before you take a big uh, big pile on a trip with you now one of the things with jerky or one of the disadvantages with, with jerky and it really doesn't matter what brand you're looking at here you are using beef uh, as a, a meat as a raw product so um, um, the, the actual base product for this um, is is expensive it's not like you're, uh, you say, using uh, vegetables, which tend to be fairly cheap in comparison. So the price on this jerky um, ranges. Um, at its most expensive, it's $19 for a pack. Uh, but they often offer, uh, the company actually offers uh, uh, multi-buy deals, which will get the price down to just under $12 a, a pack. Um, and because it's got a, a two-year life expectancy, providing you sort of store it, um, in, a, in, a, in a, a cupboard somewhere out of the out of the sun and out of the uh, the moisture, uh, it's going to last that long. So you can buy it and, and use it over a twelve month period. Uh, for me, um, I bought um, a, the large pack, um, which was twenty packets, uh, and it's lasted uh, um, probably around about seven or eight months. Uh, so it's gone quite well in that respect. But if you start looking at it. On a per kilo basis, um, the price is around about the $150 a kilo. And again, that sounds a lot, but uh, I defy anybody to sit there and try and eat a kilo of jerky. Um, I think it's going to take somebody a long time to get, get through that. So it's actually a, a, a quite a good value sort of meal um, in that respect. The other thing to think of as well is, um, yes, you can buy it cheaper in the supermarkets, um, but again, in preparation for this, I had a look at the prices in my local supermarket, one of the uh, one of the big supermarkets, uh, and it ended up being ninety dollars a kilo anyway. Um, so it's not a huge difference, uh, and, but I think the quality is certainly there. And this is this is from my perspective, this is probably one of the highest quality jerkies I've actually eaten. Um, so it's actually going to be interesting to uh, to see. Uh, um, if I can come across anything that's potentially any better than that. 
We have a close friend. Hello, Amanda. Um, Amanda advised us that she actually gave uh, kangaroo jerky a go um, by making it herself. Um, she's very good at that sort of stuff and, uh, you know, I have no idea how long it, it would have taken her and what effort she would have had to go to, but um, good on her for doing that. If you're so inclined, absolutely. Um, I have to fess up, I'm not so inclined, so <laughs> the uh, the buying the packet is uh, the best option for us. I think the other thing to consider is as well is uh, I think we've gotten used to these days where we buy something online and this is where you're going to buy this product uh, on the on the website. Uh, and I'll put the link in our show notes to uh, the company's website so you can have a look at that. Um, but I think um, one of the things that's pleasantly surprising is the fr- it's freight free. So the price you see, it doesn't sort of become more expensive because you're adding freight. So a lot of the hiking stores... Um, whether you buy a pack or a sleeping bag or anything like that, um, if it's under a certain amount, uh, you often tend to have a, end up having to pay freight. It's only when you sort of get up to a certain level that the freight becomes free. For this one, even if you buy one pack, the freight is still free. So it's actually quite a uh, an economical process through there. I would actually recommend, and this is what we did. Uh, I've done my research. I had a look at it. Uh, the reviews I saw seemed to be reasonably good. So as I said, I bought a 20 packet bulk deal uh, and was certainly glad I did and as I said it's lasted me um, since uh, what is it now it's it's um, uh, mid-January uh, and I, it lasted me since around about July last year so um, I think it's actually fairly good value in that respect. If you go onto our website uh, and have a look at the written version of this uh, this review um, we've got photos of the actual product uh, a bit more detail in the write-up uh, and certainly uh, links to the actual website itself. So um, if you're interested in this, um, certainly go through and have a look at the website. Uh, as I said, we've got a trip coming up in February uh, and we will be buying some more jerky before we actually go. Well, that's all for today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, Just a reminder to everyone that this podcast is available for download through our website at www.australianhiker.com.au. It's also available from download through Stitcher Radio and iTunes. Our next regular episode will be released in two weeks' time on Wednesday morning, uh, and that will be uh, a show on photography while hiking. Next week, we're also going to be releasing our bonus episode for January 2017. And this is of a one-day trip that I did to Mount Bimbury just before Christmas at the end of last year. So I think you'll find that quite interesting. I hope you enjoyed. Bye for now.